Good day, lovely new listeners, and welcome back to my regulars. Today, I bring you four horror stories from the creepiest of tales, a ghost train that choo-choos the dead, a whispering voice that gives out warnings, contacted from beyond by an entity unknown, and the floating flounder, the tale called Floater. Listeners, today is slightly shorter than usual due to a corrupted file, which took place during a power spike. It embedded multiple clicks and pops throughout the episode, really painful, but I managed to re-record a lot of the audio so as to ensure a smoother listening experience. Either way, I'll be recording a longer episode next week to make up for that lost one. Mate, sit back, pour yourself a cup of tea, and enjoy four tales that are sure to chill. Enjoy, you lovely legends. Big Six. The Ghost Train. I was 12 years old, spending a fair amount of time at my grandmother's cabin at Pine Grove State Furnace. Pine Grove has always been haunted, mostly due to the Fuller Lake, a water-filled old open pit iron mine. Though the park service has gone so far as to send divers down to the bottom to prove that no one was killed, many people have seen ghostly horses stampeding from the old stables of the lake and into the water, making it glow a deep blue before disappearing. My story, as far as I'm aware, has never been duplicated or replicated. It involves an old iron horse that wasn't quite ready to be scrapped. I was walking back along the old railbed that runs from Laurel Lake, a man-made lake slightly larger than Fuller, at dusk in June. I did not fear being alone in the woods after dark. I knew the woods and the mountain as well as the back of my hand, just like my father did before me. It had just turned fully dark when I noticed something peculiar. It was silent. Dead silent. People that are from the woods will tell you that it's never completely silent. There's always some critter rustling through the leaves, a cicada or cricket chirping, a great horned owl hooting its dominance. The fact that there was nothing unnerved me and made me anxious to get back to the cozy little cabin. So I increased my pain. I was more or less speedwalking along this deserted, silent trail. The only sound I heard was my sneakers crunching on the cinders. Tall pine trees on both sides of the trail cast shadows down on me, making it difficult to see. I was just reflecting on how dark it was when I heard a sound I'll never forget for as long as I live. A long, lonesome wail of a steam whistle. I recognized it from a trip to the Strasbourg Railway when I was younger. Nothing in the woods could replicate that sound. The hairs in the back of my neck stood up, and I looked around. The place was as empty as a church on Monday. I was in a deserted part of the trail. The nearest cabin was two miles away in the opposite direction. I simply told myself that my mind was playing tricks on me and kept walking. Then I heard it again, and it was getting closer. A faint light appeared behind me, so faint that it was barely recognizable as a light source. I told myself that it was swamp gas. It is quite a marshy area around the trail, and that my mind was continuing to pull sound out of nothing to make up for the silence. I kept walking, thinking about fresh biscuits and wild grape jam to take my mind off things when I noticed that the light was slowly growing brighter. I had seen swamp gas lights before, they usually only lasted moments and weren't terribly bright. 
The main thing that told me that it wasn't my mind was the ground. It was vibrating. The hairs on the back of my neck stood straight as arrows. Earthquakes weren't unheard of, but it felt and sounded like something heavy pounding the ground rather than a jarring movement of an earthquake. I was properly scared. Thinking about Wendigos and other supernatural monsters that lived in the woods, I stepped off the trail and crouched down by a thick pine tree, waiting for whatever it was to go by and let me go at my business. I became aware of a slow snorting sound, making me again think of giant 80-foot wendigos that turn people into cannibals with their touch. I also realized that the light was growing brighter and the rumbling of the ground was slowing down. It comes around a long, sweeping curve at a crawl, slowing to a stop in front of me. It was a big six, a 210 to Baltimore and Ohio-operated locomotive, Number 6666. It hissed to a stop, its giant driving wheels resting on the bare cinders. It was shrouded in a light blue mist of steam and wore a deep black coat of paint that seemed to suck all available light into it, except the bright light of the front spotlight. The steam mist, when it hit me, turned cold. I bit hard on my knuckles, trying to control myself. Two blue lights were in its cab, as if on cue. One hopped down and crouched into the bushes for a moment. I heard a sound of stressed steel and a clack. An invisible switch had been thrown by the ghost fireman. The blue light then took the opportunity to walk slowly around his 91-foot-long, evil-looking locomotive before casually climbing back up the ladder into the cab. I then saw the firebox open and heard such a scream. The kind of scream you'd never want to hear again. The sound of someone being roasted alive. Almost as quickly as it had opened, the firebox door shut with a clang, and then a long, soulful, sad song of the whistle chimed again. Big Six puffed a blue cloud of steam up out of its short black smokestack as it rolled slowly across the invisible switch. It took a sharp, almost 90-degree turn, much too sharp for any real locomotive, and puffed away into the woods. The holding counter lasted probably no more than four or five minutes. But believe me, I had seen more than enough. I did the rest of the trail on a dead sprint, and didn't stop until I was in the cabin with the thick wooden door locked behind me. My grandparents, parents, and friends have tried unsuccessfully to get this story out of me, but I had never told about it until this day. The story about how I had seen one of the scrapped big sixes that burn people for fuel. Floater It's hard to know how long I've been drifting. Bobbing, ebbing, flowing with the mostly gentle current. The fact that I know anything at all boggles the mind that I should no longer have access to. It feels like an eternity ago, the point at which I wasn't soaking wet. In fact, I'm not totally sure I remember what it was ever like to be dry, despite the horrible feelings in my gut, the bloating and pressure. I don't feel any real discomfort. 
not like before at least. The worst thing I am capable of remembering is also my strongest recollection. Everything before it feels like a conjured dream, with details that don't quite add up. Like a puzzle with improperly shaped pieces, I think at some point I was in love, but maybe that's just the gap. That terrible aforementioned memory is what, I suppose led to me becoming so wet. I remember thrashing, turning to splashing, screaming, turning to gargling, and a strange, salty taste in my mouth. My feet felt as though they were entombed in concrete, a nemesis to my own body. All that movement, struggling, and action, all for nothing. How I wish I could move even just the tiniest bit. I'd absolutely love to turn my head, to be able to take in my surroundings, but honestly, I'd settle for a twitch of my pinky. To paraphrase the Lizard King himself, I was down so goddamn long that everything looked up to me. I knew once I woke in this state, which way was up in a literal sense, as it was the opposite of where my body lay. That is until the gas pain if you can truly call it pain, began. Shifts and changes, twists and turns of the current liberated my shackled feet. I'm not sure how. I couldn't so much as squeak my eyeballs half an inch downward to see anyone. Anyway, I felt myself rising, ascending from the darkness to the strange light that tickled my peripherals for what felt like an eternity, driven upward by my gut. I was certain that I was shedding my mortal coil. And, yet, that certainty betrayed me. As I gracelessly bobbed above the surface, I swear I felt a wrenching in my lungs. It seemed as though they hadn't received the memo from the rest of my body yet. Nothing filled my chest but briny fluids. Somehow I found it hard to care. Now, I see the sky. It's all I've seen for an immeasurable span of time. While not terribly exciting, it's so much better than the alternative. A short while after my body emerged from its watery metamorphosis, a particularly cruel tide caused me to flop onto my belly. Limp like a ragdoll, I was powerless to resist. Robbed of the serene blue above me, all I received in return was the haunting depths from which my body escaped. A dark, unforgiving abyss. Sight, though, is all I have, and thus I hungered for stimulation. I've considered how I finally end, and what will give me release from this passive prison. But for now, I satisfy my mind with the views, although I wish I could see something new for a change. But lo, my prayers are answered. Something snags my leg briefly, turning me to face the mass I float towards. Land ho! I can almost smell the sweet scent of a forested land on the breeze. Feelings I didn't know I had have begun to wash over me. Tall, lush, and beautiful green foliage looms overhead. It's a testament to nature's artistic virtues contrasted against the sky. 
The land under me, presumably sand, crunches and shifts as the tide gently places my body on the shores before receding once more. Perhaps this will be my new home for a while, plenty of sights to take in, but I can't help but wonder how much longer I'll be stuck in this body. Suddenly, something catches my eye, if only my eye could follow. A shifting, something moving in the nearby shrubbery, all thoughts of release wash away as I hear a squeaky whine. A small dog-like creature, maybe a coyote, appears in front of my sideways bent head, a paw lands squarely on my sternum as more of the beasts come into view. The first one's snout is right in front of my face, blocking my view. All I see is saliva dripping down, pointed fangs, and I feel a small twitch in my pinky finger. Written by Tawawe Hush, little baby. A sense of tranquility encased the park, embracing the quietude of the overcast day. The playground, during the summer months, so filled with the laughter of children, now stood in near solitude. The sparse scattering of leaves, adorned in the rich hues of late autumn, embarked on a whimsical dance across the grassy expanse, propelled by the brisk and capricious wind. In the corner, the aged merry-go-round, covered in a coat of rust, groaned to life, its movement echoing through the quiet surroundings. An empty swing, bereft of the joyful giggles that so often accompanied its motion, swayed, hesitantly producing a haunting whine with each oscillation. The atmosphere tinged with an unspoken melancholy retained the remnants of youthful joy, albeit now faded into a poignant stillness. All these things went unnoticed by the man, a somewhat portly figure with thinning hair, the subtle nuances of the park's desolation unfolding around him, oblivious to the vacant merry-go-round at the empty sandpit. He was engrossed in the simple act of pushing the swing that cradled his precious young girl. The little girl donned in a pink coat, adorned with the profusion of colorful flowers swung steadily back and forth, caught in a melody woven by his lullaby. His gentle song resonated in the crisp air, carried away by the wind that swept through the quiet expanse of the deserted path. The man, lost in the rhythm of his paternal duty, remained blissfully unaware of the tender echoes of solitude that surrounded their seemingly intimate moment. Hush, little baby, don't say. Just then, in a haunting juxtaposition to the tranquil scene playing out before them, a single newspaper page carried by a gust of wind pirouetted through the air, eventually coming to rest on the ground at the man's feet. The headline that graced the front page carried an emotional plea, Bring Claire Home. The image accompanying the plea portrayed a young girl, Claire, mirroring the age and appearance of the girl on the swing, adorned as she was in a pink coat embellished with a myriad of vibrant flowers. 
The man noticed the newspaper page, meeting the paper's headline with cold eyes and a sadistic smile. The serenity of the park was then shattered, as the front of Claire's coat became stained with blood. The threads sewn to hold Claire's lips shut stretched under the strain. Blood would then flow from the needle holes as the skin tore and the thread ripped. Her scream would be heard by nobody other than her cat. Written by Darius McCorkendall. Contacted. I have a story. Well, more of a personal experience in which I was reached out to by a spirit. I refuse to say ghost because it's a demeaning word that takes the past human life out of the picture. But as I was saying, the spirit reached out to me. I didn't know at the time, but... I was in a lot of danger. I was reading along Facebook status as I usually do when I get bored. It was something about some girls, problems at school. Oh well, that's when my screen went black. I tried to turn off my computer and turn it back on again. But that didn't work so I went to bed. Around 11.50am, my cell phone started ringing, so I answered it not bothering to check the caller ID. On the other end, I heard a woman whispering to get out of my room. I called her crazy and hung up. Then something started tapping on my window. This freaked me the fuck out, so I took my knife and went outside and around my house to my window, but something was wrong. The thing I saw was not human or any animal I have ever seen before. That when my phone rang again, it answered itself. All I heard was static, but when I looked up again, I saw a woman standing there in front of whatever the thing standing outside my window was. She yelled at me, saying I should have listened to her. I was trying to make sense of everything. That's when I remember that my house was built on a graveyard, and I could see through the woman. She was holding a small child, and the creature disappeared. I wondered why that just happened. But before I could finish the thought, she looked at me and said, Leave. Now. I don't believe what I had just seen was real, so I approached her and she grabbed my arm. When I looked back at her, she was gone. In her place was a sight I'll never ever be able to forget. Even after I die, the creature was there glaring into my eyes, burning its image into my soul. My heart felt like it skipped a few beats, and then I was alone. Laying down under the cold grass under a tree, silent, lonely, I decided to get up and go inside. That's when I felt it. The cold hand of someone, somewhat familiar, somewhat unclear. It was my best friend. But last time I had seen her, she was in a casket, killed by a drunk driver as I was thrown out of the car. She smiled and said, I missed you. When I saw her smile, I knew it wasn't a dream. I've never been able to replicate it again in any of my dreams, no matter how hard I tried. I knew my time was done. When I looked back at my window for one last time, I saw that the house had been abandoned for what looks like a very long time. 
Now we go around terrorizing lost souls that believe that they are still alive. Like I once did. Now that you've been warned, I recommend double checking things and making sure that the shadows are actually the wind blowing the trees leaves. Well, listeners, I hope you enjoyed all three tales and thank you for listening. Be sure to email me any feedback you have via email on stories, fables, ghostlytales at gmail.com. And if you want to support the show, visit my Patreon, which is www.patreon.com forward slash SFGT, where you can send your love my way. Now, I want to thank the amazing people that keep this show pumping along. First up is my amazing Odinite T-Titan, the Colossus amongst us, the Titan who stomps his feet and crushes the kingdom of boredom with one fell smash. We welcome Matto Star, the bringer of awesome. Thank you, you legend and pal, for supporting the show in the way that you do. With your support, as always, I'm really able to push the limits and use tools to recover when my computer's pushing the limits and dies on me. Mate, thank you so much for supporting the show to such an extent. You really are wonderful and special. Thank you, Matto Star, my pal and supporter. And of course, my stalwart legend, Lezuka the Bazooka, blasting a hole in all things bland and boring. Thank you, you legend, for your ongoing support. You really are a hell of a guy. Thanks to you, mate. I'm able to get plugins that repair corrupted and damaged audio, and it's been doing a lot of the heavy lifting in today's episode. Shame that these things happen when they do. Well, it goes ballistic. <laughs> Thanks for your support and having my back, my pal, Leza. And of course, where would I be? Without my old grain forces and all my other lovelies supporting in different tiers, I'm lucky to have Chad Warren, Just Heather, Sunshine Days, Juicebox Andy, Peter Raffaelli, Michelangelo Yacone, divided by zero, Leah Fassig, Alia Arcane, Paige Kurema, Jane Gumnick, and Michael Krupp. Thank you, you very kind and special people. If you listen this long, thank you very much. Now, pour your tea, make it nice, ensure your flavoring is precise. Like a story, let it flow. Let the fables and tales take you home. It's these stories that bring us together and old audio that reminds us of how we've changed. Stay a while, have a listen, and as always, I hope to see you again.